All right, you may be seated. So good to see each one of you here this morning. God is so good all the time. And we're in the second of the series of Jonah, God's Word in God's World. And today our theme or the title is Jonah on the Run. Jonah on the Run. You know, Jonah's response to God's call wasn't unlike many of us. For years, I used to listen to the Jonah story thinking, come on, Jonah, what are you doing? Clear call of God. You go out on a boat, you get swallowed by a fish. All those things happen, eventually he comes back. I think, come on, Jonah, why didn't you go right away? Well, I didn't know a lot about Nineveh at that time. And, and I look at that now and just go, hey, I'm there. I'd be with you in the boat, Jonah, because it's an intimidating group. And we have many of those types of decisions in our own lives too, or I know I do. When God makes something pretty clear and I run the other way. Thankfully, our and my running choices are not documented in the world's all-time best-selling book and preached about by pastors all over the world, like Jonah's mistake was. There are probably times in each of our lives when we knew what God was calling us to do, but we didn't do it for whatever reason. Why? Because we saw the problems. We saw the potential danger. We were selfish. We didn't like those people. Someone else will do it. And the list goes on. We have all kinds of reasons for running from God. So, it perhaps shouldn't surprise us that Jonah chose to run instead of confronting people who were extraordinarily evil. So today, when we look at this moment in Jonah's life, let's consider three things. First, ask God to help you identify the ways you are running from God. The second is to ask God to help you to learn what you're supposed to learn in the storms of your life. Some of you in this room are in heavy storms right now. Don't lose sight of the fact that God's at work. And then number three, we'll just explore this a little later too. Think about this. There may be people in your sphere of influence who are pleading for you. Would you please live out what you say you believe? Would you please do that? So let's read the story to make sure we're caught up. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to Jonah of Amittai, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. An awesome story, and this is just the beginning of it, really. But we're going to take a look at the word run today. Jonah was on the run, and that's going to be our outline for today. And it starts with a righteous response from God, a righteous response to Jonah's disobedience. We'll move on then to some unsuccessful utterances on the part of the sailors, and we'll wrap it up with a noteworthy noncompliance from Jonah. 
John chapter, or Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 says this, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, I don't know how you read Scripture, uh, but when I do, I try to slow down and try to find humor in there because God puts many pieces of humor all over Scripture, which makes it really fun to read. And I think you put it in there because, you know, someday Kent Hannestead would want to read Scripture and enjoy it. And so this is a verse that just kind of struck me actually this morning. I hadn't really thought about it till this morning as I was looking over the notes again. And, and I underlined the words, ship threatened. Right away, I think of Balaam and, and the donkey. <laughs> you know, the donkey just stops and says, why are you beating me? And Balaam just doesn't even hesitate. The next verse says he answered the donkey, like the donkey started talking. So here I wonder, someday when we see the video up in heaven, did the ship actually go, hey, 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 come on here. I'm going to break it up. I'm just going to shatter and forget the whole thing. I find great humor in there. And if you didn't, I apologize for that detour. But I love seeing that the ship threatened to break up. In other words, it was a horrible, horrible storm. And I asked the question, why would God do a great wind? What was the deal with the great wind? Why didn't God speak to Jonah audibly and say, Jonah, don't run away from me? I think that would have gotten his attention. It would have gotten mine if I was going to go somewhere else. And all of a sudden I hear this, Kent, turn around. <gasps> yes. And I would turn around. That's all it would take. Why didn't God allow the sailors or the person selling the fare to say, hey, we're full, can't accept any more passengers? That would have been simple. Why didn't God allow the fare to be more than Jonah could afford? He could have done all those things and a myriad of other options instead of putting all of his life and the lives of the sailors in peril. Why would God do a great wind? Maybe you're in a storm right now and you're asking God the same question. What's the deal with this storm, God? Why did you let this happen? How come I have a strained relationship right now with my spouse? How come my kids are doing the things they're doing? I don't like this storm. Couldn't you have gotten their attention or my attention in a different way? I had a conversation with a real good friend of mine this week. He owns a business in town, and he's just having all kinds of struggles. His employees leaving, Jobs mounting, bills mounting, and he's trying so hard to be faithful to God. And his last text to me was, he said, Kent, I am so frustrated. I'm just trying to hang on to God's plan. And I'm sure he would ask that same question. God, what is this? Why this storm? Why in this way? Why didn't God choose one of the other options? It's because God chose his own option. Because he's God. And he knows so much more than you and I could ever know. It was his righteous response. The storm was sent because of Jonah's disobedience. Storms and difficulties are almost, uh, or aren't always a result of sin or disobedience. But while storms and difficulties aren't dependent on the presence of sin, sin will always, get this, result in a storm or a difficulty or some type of a compromise in your life. So while it might not turn out to be a storm, you might be able to identify the consequences of your sin right away. But other times, we think we don't suffer any consequences for our sin because we didn't see any. And so we think, well, it's no big deal if I do it again, whatever it is. 
However, disobedience always carries a consequence, perhaps a slow hardening of our hearts towards spiritual things, eventually strained relationships, maybe compromising of our integrity or more. There's always some consequence to sin. And our sin isn't always only about us either. Jonah's sin, the rejection of God's leading, ended up with the pagan sailors experiencing the storm as well. They didn't do anything for this particular incident to happen. They're just out doing their jobs. Our sin seldom affects only ourselves. It can impact our family, our friends, teachers, teammates, work associates, and others we've never intended to harm. And we think our selfish sin isn't that big of a deal. But in the midst of this storm and in the midst of your storm, we can take confidence to know that God's mercy is always at work. God's mercy was at work in this situation as well. Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, I like how he says it, there's deep mercy inside our storms. Storms can wake us up to truths we would otherwise never see. Storms can develop faith, hope, love, patience, humility, and self-control in us that nothing else can. God was bringing Jonah back into right relationship with him through the storm, and he wanted to get the sailors' attention too. So he could have dealt directly with Jonah, but he had a bigger plan. He also wanted to address the sailors. His ways are not our ways. Many times I look at my life and I think, God, I would have done it differently. And he goes, I know, that's why I'm God and you're not. Because I have a better way of doing things. Why didn't God do any of the other options? Because he's God and he knows so much more. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God wasn't only bringing Jonah back to himself, he was also reaching out to the sailors. So in the middle of your storm, we can remember another promise too from Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, if it's not good, he's not done. He promises he's going to work it out for good. Does it mean it's during our lifetime we're going to be able to identify it and go, oh, now I understand why I went through all of those things. Look at this nice, neatly wrapped package of blessing that you gave me. God doesn't say it's in our timing. He says, I'll take care of it, but I promise it will work out for the good of those who love me. The storm was God's righteous response. So how did everyone respond? Well, the sailors responded with what I called unsuccessful utterances. So it was righteous response, and the sailors had unsuccessful utterances. Look at verse 5 of Jonah chapter 1. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep, deep sleep. You ever ask the question, how could Jonah sleep through the storm? You think about that, the ship was ready to break up. And yet he was sleeping deeply. The seasoned sailors were used to bad weather and storms. It was a normal part of their experience. But even they were absolutely terrified. It must have been a horrible storm. 
So how does Jonah go down and sleep? Doesn't make sense that he was sleeping, does it? I'll ask you this. Have you ever slept through an impossible storm or loud activity? Yeah, I have. You wake up and go, wow, how come there's debris all over our front yard? Well, didn't you hear the storm last night? Nope. Or have you slept through one of your kids being ill? All of a sudden you wake up and go, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't hear a thing. Oops. People sleep through seemingly impossible noise or activity because they're exhausted, depleted, or in deep sorrow or depression. Sleeping is their mechanism of escape. Perhaps Jonah was overwhelmed with anger, guilt, anxiety, or grief over his decision to go against God's leading. And he's just saying, I can't believe I did that. Oh my goodness, I am just, I want to just get away from life. I had one experience where I was so deeply embarrassed, I wanted to absolutely disappear. I didn't fall asleep, thankfully, at that time, but I was the PA announcer for a high school basketball game in Minneapolis. I lived across the street from the girls' coach from a large high school in the Twin Cities. And anyway, I was doing this announcing thing, came down to the the national anthem. I think I've shared with some of you this before. And uh, I leaned over, the clock was counting down, 10, 9. The athletic director was in charge of getting the national anthem ready to go. And uh, I leaned over, 8, 7. I said, who's got the national anthem? And the guy at the clock leans over, you do. What? And the horn went off. And I've got the mic. And the place was packed. It's Park Center High School in the Twin Cities, a large high school. Their arch rivals, the Osseo Orioles, were there to play. And it was packed. And I was like, okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Park Center High School in tonight's matchup between the Osseo Orioles and your Park Center Pirates. It was just loud. And so please... Stay standing and join me in singing our national anthem. And I've always wanted to sing it. I really, I love to sing. I've always wanted to do a national anthem, just not on the spur of the moment. So I started, and about three sentences in, I skipped a line and boldly proclaimed the next line. And I stopped. I went, mm, and, and everyone was just silent. It's like, oh, this guy forgot the national anthem. And I was like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize. I've forgotten the words to our national anthem. <laughs> so I'm like, what, what, do you, what, what do you do? What would you do when you're starting, you forgot the words? You just go, so now the starting lineups. And no, you, don't, you can't just jump there. I thought that's terrible. And so uh, would you please stay standing and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance? So I, I did the whole play. It was odd. They all joined in. I'm like, that was kind of fun. But I wanted to just absolutely disappear because I thought, what a horrible thing. I'm so embarrassed. It's unbelievable. I sometimes wonder, maybe Jonah was kind of like, you know, I so embarrassed myself at this decision. I feel horrible. I just want to disappear. And in the midst of his depression, sorrow, anger, guilt, whatever it was, he was able to sleep. So how do the sailors respond? The sailors respond by crying out to their gods. It says each one to their own god. It wasn't like they're all a group either. Like they all followed the same god. They're just like, hey, God, help. Would you please save us? The sailors tried to fix things on their own. Does this sound familiar? 
with their own strength, with their own understanding. They'd been there before. They'd been in bad storms before. They said, oh, what happens then? We throw stuff overboard to make the ship lighter. Okay, so we throw things over. They yell out to their gods to try to save them. Isn't that how often we address the storms in our lives as well, isn't it? Isn't it what we do? Isn't it what I do? We try to employ the disciplines and strategies in which we have training or experience. Oh, I've seen this before. Eventually, we turn to God and ask him to help. I served on a board with a former pastor at Bethel, a guy named Matthew St. John, and uh, it was a Christian organization, and we would always start our meetings with prayer, um, and then we'd go into the discussions of all the different uh, agenda items. And inevitably, on, on this board, there was a lot of differences of opinion, which is kind of why you have a board. It's awesome. So we speak into it. Well, it started to be some misunderstandings and some, some kind of like, well, I don't, I don't like your point. Well, I don't like your point. And it was kind of going back and forth a little bit. And every time that started to go kind of off path a little ways with the conversation, Pastor Matthew would stop and go, ladies and gentlemen, we need to pray. Let's just pray. And so you stop, and he would lead us in prayer and say, God, we need discernment. We need unity. We need wisdom. Would you please help us in this topic that we're talking about? It was awesome. God would always answer with clarity and unity and understanding. He was always first to point out, we need to have God take care of this conversation with us. It was powerful. The sailors eventually get to that point and they acknowledge their need for something else. So God's righteous response to Jonah's disobedience is the great wind, as the Bible says. The sailors' response is unsuccessful utterances. Help us, our gods, please. And then Jonah's part was noteworthy noncompliance. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 6, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Basically, I hear the captain yelling out, hey, would you live out your faith, please? Would you do what you believe? Would you call on the name of the God that you believe in? We need something beyond what we have. So I kind of changed the end of our run, not just noteworthy noncompliance. I did it to this. Noteworthy, non-living out your faith and being confronted by a non-believer. Last night, you know, yesterday, whatever, Friday, whatever day it was, we went to Bismarck to see our grandson, our son and his wife, and our son Carson, and my wife and I drove there. We drove back, went to three basketball games at the Shack and the NDSU campus. Uh, it was the EDC basketball, men's basketball tournament, and uh, we were there watching these three games. Well, the Shack has it set up for COVID stuff where it's every other row, and the, other, the rows that we're not supposed to sit in had a sign at the, at the beginning of each chair, the, each aisle, and said, this row not available for seating. Very clearly printed. And a black string of duct tape over all of the seats that you're not supposed to sit in. It was pretty clear <laughs> on the communication. As you walked up, you didn't have to say, I wonder if we should sit here. I don't know, that duct tape might kind of hurt a little, but that might kind of be cool. 
No, you looked, you realized we're not supposed to sit here, right? How many of you in here would have figured out not supposed to sit there? Okay, so you're like, this is a trick question. I'm not raising my hand. It's not a trick question. It's that simple. So my wife and I are sitting, and Carson's next to my wife, and there's a row behind us that you're not supposed to sit in. Well, there was a certain group of fans that decided rules really are only if you really want to follow them, and they're pretty optional. And so there's a, three or four kids that came and sat in that row behind us. And we kindly turned and, and said, oh, excuse me, but that duct tape that's really uncomfortable behind you right now, that means you're not actually supposed to sit there. And those signs at the, each end of the aisle, they've put a, a rule in the auditorium, you're not supposed to sit there. It says, don't sit here, not available for sitting. And they looked at us like we were the dumbest, most judgmental people in all of North America. They looked, they go, <coughs> that was their response. Seriously. <coughs> and I go, it's not my rule. I'm just telling you, you're not supposed to sit here. <coughs> so they got up and walked very pronouncedly up to some other seats. And as I looked back, I realized from that row, one behind us, all the way to the top was absolutely solid. They'd taken the duct tape off of every row leading to the top. And I'm like, you guys, seriously, what are you doing? So one other guy decides to come and sit down there not long after that and sits down. So my wife turns and says, excuse me, you're not supposed to sit in this row. And he did this. Looked at her and turned away, like, whatever. Don't do that to my wife when I'm there. <laughs> Sorry, I, I kind of I responded with some pretty defensive, not over the top. I just said, excuse me. He turned, he goes, yeah. I go, yeah. I said, can you, the sign actually says you can't sit in that row. And he turned, don't ignore me. You can say, I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. That's fine. But don't, don't just turn your back. And so he turned, I was like, are you serious? So I got up. And I walked over, and I just finished, I don't know, I, I, popcorn or something. And so I walk over, and I go, are you seriously going to cause me to go get somebody from the stadium to come and tell you to move? Do you really want me to do that? Because I'll do it. You're making our family feel uncomfortable, and this is a rule that this place set. Are you seriously going to do that? I felt pretty justified in that. Wouldn't you think? It's a rule. I'm just trying to help him. <laughs> and so then a, a, a guy who is trying to be sarcastic and really trying to be very disrespectful to me in the front row of that whole group, you know, kind of the kids often, one often rises up to be the big spokesperson because they got everybody behind them. You know, they're really tough at that time. And I'm 6'5", 500 pounds. So, you know, whatever. So, so he looks and he goes, would you please put your mask on, sir? And then I'm like, shoot, I didn't put my mask on. So here I am, you guys got to stop breaking the rules. What are you guys thinking, you irresponsible, defiant children? Where are your parents? You know, I was like, I was just going after the guy. I went, ah, oh, you know, it's, one of, it's like, ah, oh, yes. So I said, yes, I can. And in my head, I'm like, you idiot. So to me, not to him. So I sure can. So I put it on, the kid got up and moved, I went and sat down, <clears throat> just kind of, 
Oops. You know, I'm so quick to point out that somebody else is doing something wrong. And this is a case here where a person of non-faith, a non-believer, is coming to the believer saying, would you please do what you're supposed to do? It's pretty convicting. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're supposed to do what God calls us to do. We're not supposed to run. Jonah was supposed to do what he was called to do. Absolutely. Why did he run? It's totally understandable. I'd even only call it natural for him to run. Because he looked at the problems and said, I can't deal with that. That is too intimidating for me. I'm running. We're supposed to be Christ's ambassadors all the time, at work, in our home, while we drive, in our relationships, all the time. You and I are Christ's ambassadors. Oh, God, help us to be good ones. I'm going to transition into a time of communion. And as we do that, I just want to ask you those three questions we asked at the beginning of our time together, too. One, Ask God to help you identify the ways you are running from God. Not how your spouse is, not how your friend is, not how somebody else is, not how these terrible teenagers at the shack are running from God. But what about you? And then if you're in the storm of life, maybe it's multiple storms for some of you, I don't know. Ask God, would you please help me learn what I'm supposed to learn in this storm. It's not a wasted storm. He's doing it with a perfect purpose in mind. And then number three, think about this. There may be people in your sphere of influence, a coworker, a friend, a family member, somebody at this church who's pleading with you, would you please live out what you believe? Would you please live out the truth? As we go into communion, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are more than welcome to participate in communion. You don't have to be a member of our church. And the elements were handed out as you walked in. If you missed that somehow, just shoot your hand up and the ushers will come around and get you some elements for communion. Uh, that would be awesome. But remember, it's easy to judge Jonah for running because his story is in that all-world's best-selling book of all time. But what about you? How are you running? Confess that to the Lord today and give a solid response to him. Amen.